Well, that's a banging intro song, Kay. Welcome to the Redleaf Retrocast Patreon, Joshi 2010's journey. Yeah, the first one on the stardom. Yes, that was Yuzapon's Yuzi Aikawa's theme. It's called Bakunyu Sentai Pi Ranger. <laughs> Something like that. I, I think she does eventually change it. I could be mistaken, but I do recognize the theme. Going back, I've watched old stardom stuff when I first started out as a fan. Oh, man. I, I just... Before we even get started, just how crazy is it watching old-ass indie promotion stardom compared to... Because I, <laughs> I watched some of these matches after their big pay-per-view that, uh, as of recording this episode, they had just done. And just... Jesus. Talk about two different companies. It's a different world, and it shows what a company that wants to grow will try to do and accomplish. And I think... Uh, uh, the various shows and main events that we watched to start off Stardom, uh, it was a good representation of a lot of that. Yeah, we watched their very first show and a few, you know, sucked matches, right? And first show is always wild. It's not my first time watching it. It's my third time going back to watch it. And it's just always just so wild at how bare bones everything is. Even at the time when I was watching it in 2018, 2019, it just felt so distant. It was kind of crazy. Well, I have a confession to make, but before I make said confession, I must say, if you're listening to this on the Big Egg Joshi podcast for free, and you enjoy what you're about to hear, I encourage listening to the past episodes so you can uh, learn along with us and uh, gain our perspective and insight over what we do and don't know. Head on over to the Red Leaf Retrocast proper. Give us a nice little five-star five review over there if you enjoy what you hear. Uh, we do more than just these Joshi 2010s, <laughs> along with a host of other things, also on the Patreon, LLPW, Case JD Star Reviews by Starcade, and a whole lot more. So there's the plug. Good plug? I think it was a good plug. <laughs> you gotta say my awesome JD Star Reviews. You gotta keep it on brand. God. It is on brand. So, on confession. Brand. Confession. <laughs> you ready for this confession? confession? All right, tell me. I have never seen pre-2015 like 2015 stardom. I've seen like maybe oh two or three matches. So I know the legend. I get mm, adjusted for era legend. <laughs> adjusted for one era. Yuzuki Aikawa. Well, do you know you, you're aware of her importance? Yes, of course. She's like, literally I, the glue to this company. Yes, I am I'm well aware of the historical precedence that was set with her uh, when it comes to stardom itself. I know of her importance into the scene, uh, what, what kind of impact she had. I, I know the history of it, but I've never seen the matches for myself, uh, and this was very exciting. And if you could tell by the uh, uh, episode title, uh, this is episode 15. Our first 14 episodes were, uh, well, I guess so, the first 13 episodes were over 2010. Our previous episode was the first one in 2011 over Ice Ribbon's uh, big New Year's show that they start off every year. Uh, this is Stardom Birth to Debut series. And what we did was we watched the entirety of the very first Stardom show uh, that uh, is available on their uh, Stardom World Network that you can sign up for. Very easy to find. And then for the next uh, few shows up until April 3rd, uh, kind of picked matches that stood out, and it really, really stuck to the main event because there's own. And the the reason why I chose this K 
when I was making up the match list was you can only see kind of the rookie matches so many times before you just start repeating yourself. And I don't think that would make for good audio, nor uh, it's not worth kind of repeating the same opinion and perspective over and over again. So you're telling me you don't want to watch Arya Souza over and over again? I do not. No, I've, I do not have <laughs> I- interest in uh, that aspect. Uh, and I, I think I think the, the just doing that for the first show was well enough. And being how, well, let's be honest, rough beginning stardom is, uh, I think that's kind of the best approach with a brand new promotion with a lot of rookies. Oh, yeah. This entire promotion was outside of Tayo and Hanai. Was just rookies. I mean, I guess you had Emmy that caught, popped in uh, once or twice, I think. Um, but you, it was pretty much all new people. So Io Shirai came. Uh, I think maybe a few others around that same time. Mm-hmm. It was just all people who were just trained. Now, granted, they had been training for a while. Like Yoko Bido had trained for a few years with them and things like that. Yuzi Okawa was a few years in the making. So it's not like they were so fresh out the dojo that they couldn't put on a competent match. But the competent match was like, Still a pretty low bar ceiling for would be even seeing the time would be a pretty low bar. And and you know in retrospective, with how just low the Joshi scene was in 2011, you know Neo had just closed. Ice Ribbon is just kind of getting their feet wet with a lot of uh, their own rookies and people that are a couple years in, so they're not making any uh, major grounds. Although, although they are laying a great base foundation over the last, you know, four to five years of what they're of, uh, able to do. Um, Sendai is, is doing nothing. Uh, let's see, what are some? Yeah, uh, Oz Academy is the old per, old people promotion. I uh, just to name a few. So. With stardom starting at the very ground floor during an era like this, not the worst thing in the world. No, but I'll I'll say this about 2011. I think this year is defined by the start of what would we come to know of this Joshi scene modern day. How so? Because this is, well, because 2011 is the last year I assume it has Emi Sakura. I'll start laying down the foundation for Tsukasa's takeover and Ukarashita's takeover, right? And that's pretty much what shapes Ice Ribbon to pretty much what it is now, right? It's when we when we get into 2012, more of 2013, 2014, we'll be seeing Ice Ribbon more or less kind of like it is now, maybe at the same high work rate just yet. But pretty much the formula would have been set. Stardom starts up, right? It becomes, I mean, it's the biggest women's promotion, the second biggest promotion in Japan, arguably, right now, right? Uh, uh, 2011 is also also when uh, I forget his name, the guy that founded DDT. Our own DDT. Uh, this is the year that he saw Tofu Pro live. And oh. that gave him the inspiration for TJPW. Hey, all right. <laughs> he wouldn't get that off the ground for another two years. Uh, but this is where he finally saw the show and got the inspiration for it. Well, since you're on the subject of kind of inspiration and founding, uh, Kay, why don't you give us a short little introduction on the founding of Stardom? Okay, so... Uh, to get the founding of startup, you kind of have to go a little bit back to Arsian because it's the Arsian's right. closure or Arsian's closure from Arsian to A to Z and under Hoda is very important to this. So Rossi Ogawa towards the end of Arsian, in his own words was burned out. You know, the, the, he had bad booking under him. He didn't, he wasn't the booker, right? He had Linus Asuka. He had a lot of things, a lot of, a lot of hands in the kitchen and he learned a lot of lessons from it, right? Not to have favoritism, not to, to favor people. And so when he took a break, kind of consulted here and there, but he had zero involvement in any promotion, right? He wasn't signed to a promotion. 
as a, as a owner or manager or anything, right? So he was approached with the idea of stardom by Nanai Takahashi, who after her failed promotion was looking and itching to get another promotion started. However, her and Fuka were kind of like... How... How I know the story is that Nanai approached Fuka around the time that Fuka was retiring, right? And said that she wanted Fuka to train some of the wrestlers. Because mm-hmm. Fuka was, at the time, helping train some wrestlers, but it wasn't getting credited for it everywhere, but she was kind of helping train wrestlers, and then I saw that and wanted her to sort of train her wrestlers, right? Fuka didn't know, so it kind of wasn't settled on until after the retirement, right? That they would actually do this. Yusu Pawn wanted to get into wrestling around a similar time. See how things kind of collide around a similar time? Kind of yeah. Like a, uh, all the pieces come together at once. So Yuzu Kiyokawa took a wrestling class with Fuka. This is before Fuka retired, right? She took a wrestling class with Fuka in preparation for an acting role that she was a part of. Yuzu Kiyokawa was a pretty big celebrity, not like an A-lister, but more like a, a low B-lister, right? As a gravier model, an actor, or an actress and singer was kind of her thing. So she wanted to train in wrestling to get uh, fit for a role she was doing and got kind of addicted to it and kept asking for more classes with the Fuka even after her filming was done. Boy, does that sound familiar. Uh, yeah, kind of sounds like Sakasa Fujimoto and Hikaru Shida, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it sure does. <laughs> so Fuka was like, well, we're going to start a promotion. If we're going to start a promotion, I want you to be my first wrestler. Now, this is where Rossi Ogawa steps in because then I didn't know how to run a promotion. Clearly, she could at least admit that herself, <laughs> right. given how the, the utter failure Pro Wrestling Sun was for her, where it made no money. She went into a lot of debt almost. It, it was a terrible experience for her. It didn't last more than three years for a good reason. Right? So, they approach Rossi Ogawa with the idea of this promotion. Rossi sees Yuzupon, sees dollar signs, and was like, well, we're going to build the company around her. So this is in Smart man. All, yeah, this all comes together around mid 2010 when all of this all these pieces come together and then they sort of lay the groundwork for it, uh, start training wrestlers, things like that, right? And some of these wrestlers, uh, Yoko Bito uh, being one of them, was already kind of taking classes with Yuzupon or not Yuzupon with Afuka. She wasn't a it was kind of the hobbyist kind of deal, deal kind of deal. So that's what Yoko Bito was doing. And so Yoko Bito was already kind of far ahead, which is why they were so high on her early on. Her and Yuzupan. That's kind of how Sodom founded. Yeah, and a couple other uh, key first-class trainees were Mayu, Iwatani, uh, Arisa ran Hoshiki. Away from home. <laughs> ran away from home, found a flyer. Yeah. Uh, famous, sorry. Yoshiko, whom was a, uh, if I have my facts straight, a JWP reject. She didn't make the JWP ah, squad. Mm. Is that is that true? So she tried out for JWP but didn't make it. I would call right. her a reject. A reject was referring to somebody who actually made it into the dojo and then got failed. Right, so in, my verbiage is wrong, but the, yeah, that's that's how it was in my head. That's yeah, how she, Nanai she, found her. That's yeah. actually how Nanai found her. I think Nanai was there present for her test to uh, enter the dojo and uh, I guess saw something in her because she boned her up and was one of the initial trainees. Uh, also. At the same time around this is happening, they're also training the second batch of rookies. The second batch of rookies are already being trained. Uh, your Kyrie uh, and uh, like on a few other ones, but Kyrie is kind of the one that matters. Uh, so Fuka was going through this sort of 
she was sort of scouting people, right? And I kind of scouted people, but really she only brought in Yoshiko, right? She brought in Yoshiko and she brought in her friend Tayo, and that was kind of her contributions to things. Super, okay, so I want to stop you there right away, because there was okay. a, there's a super interesting topic that we're definitely going to dive into in further episodes, particularly around the time when Marvelous and uh, Marvelous gets started, and uh, uh, Sendai in around, I guess it's like 2014? Uh, with the with, with uh, Chihiro and Roja getting there, well, you see kind of the first, and this is where we're gonna kind of keep going with the old guard mentality, where Nanai has she she is definitely from that era, okay, that that early two thousands era, trained by the nineties, and early nine, late late nineties era actually, because she was there at the last Budokan show. Oh, uh, she was yes, correct, yeah, 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 I stand corrected. Um, so the <laughs> let, let me let me get this straight. So Fuka uh came from kind of a JD Star background. Uh which didn't come from JD Star, yeah, yes. Which uh again, head on over to the Patreon, listen to Kay's awesome JD Star reviews. <laughs> yeah, right on brand. <laughs> uh it features a lot of like kickboxing and a lot of striking, uh not a lot of mat based wrestling. To say the least. And you will see... No, no, no. But that would become much more apparent later on. <laughs> yes, very apparent later on. But when you're watching these shows, because of who Nanai is, with very kind of power wrestler, and Fuka being the striker wrestler with a lot of kicks, you can immediately tell which rookies were training with who because of just how blank slate they are. And so there's a lot of people that are very kick-heavy. <laughs> And there's one of them that isn't. And, and there's only right one. The so, yes, and that's, and, that's, and that's Yoshiko. So where I was going is the concept, uh, this is another concept of the old guard to add to the tally, okay? It's not just a booking mentality. It's not just a ro- running promotion mentality. There's also this concept of a single successor will rule them all, okay? And I was trying to... Right. I was trying to come up with a good little phrase for it that that we could, uh, you know, further market. Got to make some money here, right, Kay? And uh, uh, like the that, one ring rules it all. Yes, one exactly. All, the one train, the one protege to rule them all. Yes, uh, exactly. You. you and you see that immediately with Nanai. She has that mentality. She picks one person, and she has you know her friends, but the one person is the is the only one that will matter to her. Uh, that's the one early on. You can tell early on that her and Yoko Bito were the one and the two that they were pushing off. Yes, and you can and... tell why who was why Yoko Bito was because Fuko was vouching for her, and why Nanai was pu- pushing for for Yoshiko, as well as Yuzuki Okawa being just front and center on everything, marketing and all. Well, that's it. That, that's another interesting because uh, y- Yuzuki Aikawa was was Rossi's prime target. Fuka's prime target was Bito. And Nanai's was Yoshiko. So you kind of see throughout these shows, those three people always getting the front and center uh, marketing and main events. Okay. And you can, and the other thing I want to, I want to say is Rossi is clearly in charge at this point in time. Yeah. So I wanted to, to, I wanted to touch on that actually with one of the lessons he learned and why he's getting the reputation, he gets the reputation of the quote, cold businessman. So he learned from his RCN day, not not to play favorites, not to show favoritism to anybody, because the minute you do that, you show you show your hand to one person, another one sees it, and then you cause problems, right? So if you're distant from everybody, then nobody can get mad at you for booking decisions, and you can book with a clearer mind. 
is why he's not close to anybody in the company. Honestly, he, yeah, he's, it, he's it, close he's, to the concept of the team over the individual, which I can I can definitely respect as cold-hearted as it is. It's over unnecessary. Over the years, that's lightened up. Over the years, it's lightened yeah. up. It's come to light more with, like, Hana's situation and everything. That he, he, he did... There, there were people that he would take out to eat and hang out with, and he, he enjoyed their company and wanted to almost be a father figure to some of them. So it does come off like that early on, especially that he's just very cold and distant. But he's for a good reason, because he thought that was the only way he could make things succeed this time around. And you almost think it's a necessary evil. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely talk more and more about Rossi and his, and his booking playbook. And that is another aspect of what I want to start diving further into is booking playbooks of promotions. It's a very fascinating thing uh, I've been really paying attention to in my fandom the last number of years. Uh, because I've watched so many different companies and try to learn like what makes what makes these these uh, these bookers and card makers tick. Like why do they do this the way they do? And running back to Nanai and Yoshiko, it, it's going to be something to definitely start paying attention to uh, as the months and years go on. With especially these two, uh, as we know, there's a certain incident that we'll get to in time. Uh, but that's th- th- this is not the time to talk about that. What I what I think is more important to talk about is that concept of a single protege will rule them all, and no one else matters, and how detrimental that is to building a promotion and building other wrestlers, and more or less building a legacy, and how much how much it does do damage to uh, everyone around you, which is a very it's a very fascinating thing. Am I am I saying that it's it's a it's a be all end all? Like, could you find some positives in that? Yes. Uh, you know, I think I think Marvelous is a good promotion in modern times where you go, okay, there are some positives there for sure uh, because of the training aspect, but uh, the, the overall mentality of there's only one person on top and that's the protege uh, is a concept to pay attention to. So let's get into... Uh, well, I mean, you kind of already mentioned the importance of Yuzuki Aikawa, one use upon. Uh, yeah, your, she, she's essentially the she's kind of the glue she without her rossi said this without her this company doesn't exist and i her have to agree with that popularity and her and her want which is this key here she could have just phoned it in at any point and just went off of her celebrity status and not actually wrestled properly but you could tell and it's been documented that she she would wrestle until she's spitting up blood like she wanted to be a wrestler because she felt if she was going to commit to this, this sort of lifestyle, this sort of profession, mm-hmm. that she had to be all in. Otherwise, she's disgracing all of those who come before her, all those who come after. That's a lot Which of respect. Which is why, keynote here, keynote here, she never held the red belt, was offered it several times, apparently, and refused it every time because that is the belt for the main wrestlers. She is not a wrestler. She is not. A, she didn't start as a wrestler. This is the key point there. She didn't start as a wrestler. She came in as a gravier idol actress and things like that, and became a wrestler. That belt is for people who are wrestlers, who started as a wrestler. And little did she know that many, many people would follow in her footsteps and yet be top of the company. <laughs> and I heard that for that whole reason, the white belt was created, and that would become a very important belt for the company. <laughs> All right, so let's get into our first event. It's January twenty third, 2011, Stardom Birth of Nova. Uh, a lot of uh, universe and galaxy 
uh, themes to start. Can make the knife for that. Make the knife for that. Yeah, it has a very the knife has a very certain naming convention. It's either something with space and galaxy or passion. Those are two things. Yeah, Shinkiba first ring because that's where all Joshi companies hang out. Four hundred sixty six in attendance. Maybe kinda. <laughs> Uh, it may look like it, maybe. Yeah, maybe. And we start off with what I thought was the main event, but it is indeed the very first match of the promotion. It's a uh, Luchadora, who's who was uh, brought in, very young, Iris, uh, teaming up with Nanai Takahashi, uh, taking on the team and defeating the team of Natsuki Tayo, her friend, and Yuzuki Aikawa, one use upon 21 minutes, 31 seconds, Okay, you noticed immediately the presence and fire of Yuzuki Aikawa and Nanai and Natsuki Tayo just kind of holding this match together. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Yuzupon from the jump was immediately the most experienced out of the, the rookie class, right? Her and Bito, like I said mm-hmm. before. Uh, Yoshiko obviously had a lot of experience at this point as well because she was being personally trained by Nanai. But this match, I think, sort of holds true on that, right? She kept up with Nanai. That's something you would say for somebody who pretty much this is her debut. <laughs> like, I mean, it's not technically her debut, but this is pretty much her debut match. And I mean, to hold up in the ring with people who've been wrestling for years is says a lot about how how much effort she put into her training. Iris, Iris was kind of there. Yeah, I wonder whatever happened to her because once this kind of four month tour was over, I, I couldn't really find any more information about her. She probably just fucking retired. I mean, who really yeah, maybe. knows? Maybe. Uh, the second match is Mika Nagano. She defeats Ari Sousa in four minutes. Uh, How'd you like your first experience of Ari Sousa? Yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> you and everybody who's ever seen her wrestle. And Mika Nagano. She has to be one of the worst rookies they've ever produced. And Mika Nagano is a very strange kind of shoot fighter person. If you told me she was in the legit like UFC, I'd kind of believe you. Yeah, I don't know if she is or not. I never really looked up to her too much, but because uh, this match to me is always about, boy, Arisusa's bad. Yeah, <laughs> she's she doesn't, uh, get, she doesn't get any better. Yeah, she sure doesn't look it. And then uh, Passion Naki, aka Natsuki Tai on a mask, is taking on a child named Haruka. Yeah, the same child who faced Kenny Omega. Yeah, he gets a lot of shit for it today. So that's that's your girl. They go to a five minute draw. Not much to say say there. It's kind of goofy. Uh, then you have the debut match of one Arisa Hushiki, and she takes on Mayu Iwatani in totally not a Dragon Kid slash Yoshino cosplay mix. Uh, seven minutes, and one thing I noticed in this, uh, first of all, Arisa, Arisa Hushiki uh, defeats Mayu, is Mayu's not as kick-heavy as most Fuka trainees. Uh, which, no, want to know why that is? Why is that? <laughs> because she hurt her legs too much whenever she did it. Oh, okay. Well, there Mayu. you go. <laughs> Mayu is a strange creature. Mayu uh, had terrible cardio. Okay. She uh, could not do push-ups. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> Mayu was an anomaly because the fact that she even debuted was a miracle. <laughs> According to herself and DeRossi. <laughs> So the fact that she debuted was a miracle because, listen, if you just watched her first match, you could tell she's not that good. She's really bad. <laughs> <And> Mayu, <laughs> yeah, Mayu takes a long time to even get decent. <laughs> like, yeah, 
just there were there were years there in the early portions of Freedom with her and Kyrie and Io where she was probably the, still the worst part of that team. Well, Arisa is uh, she. Well, Arisa she has a little bit more than just kind of the basic kickboxing to her. She has a lot of, I guess, Taekwondo to her uh, to her game so, early on. I know where Fuka found her. Where did she find her? Oh, Fuka did mixed martial arts. Uh huh. Yeah. Undefeated. Okay. I follow undefeated, you. Undefeated, I believe. Right. 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 So Arisa Hoshiki was a trainee who never. I, don't, I think she did debut, actually, now that I think about it. But she was very early in her career, and she poached her. Said, Makes sense. You, I want you. And that's kind of how she became a wrestler. You, me, <laughs> want. Like, I want you. <laughs> it seemed Fuka so was, a, was a very convincing person. Well, she convinced the fuck out of Kyrie. I can't wait till we get to that story, because that one always cracks me up. All right, yeah, and uh, uh, Arisa looks uh, looks. Pretty promising right out of the gate. Mayu, on the other end, not so much. Seven minutes. Oh, uh, okay. looks bad. Okay, so this is also another thing I want to bring up. And that's what this match inspired, this this conversation. This is, a, this is another uh, kind of old guard mindset. Okay, you ready for this one? I'm going to drop this on you. Sure. Sure. And we're trying to, I'm trying to, and, and Kay, I think you're one to understand this as well. I'm trying to evolve the old guard conversation further than just people old uh get rid of them okay i think i think by no, this I mean, time that's not that's not where it stands i i, I, I know but that's a mindset but right we we keep saying it's a mindset now it's time to evolve the definition of it uh for so many more people to understand uh this the, and and this isn't just uh a joshi thing this is also a puro thing and it's it's bled into the West over the last 20 years as well. And that is this concept of rookies. And it's almost like they're not allowed to be pushed until they're, until they've paid their dues, you know, three, four, five years in. Okay. And then that's when their career truly starts. And if you're good enough back in the eighties, okay. You know, they, they would, they would uh, debut, and within a year, they're in main events, like immediately. And if they're good enough, the good ones, they yeah. stay yeah, in the their main events. Did. And Yuzi Kayakawa, they see her as the biggest money. She is the promotion, and technically, it's her debut. And they're like, "You're you're in the main events. You're in the first match. You're with the veterans. We're gonna make you stand out." That is such an '80s concept, and that is something that has been lost over time because of this old puro guard joshi mindset of you just have to pay your dues and after so many years now you can start start up and in joshi in particular to wrap this around to uh this thing we're talking about uh for so many years and we saw this with uh with a lot of the sendai people that would come into you know whether it's a neo show or an ice ribbon show that we watched in 2010 they would they would be these onesie drop kickers over and over again and that's all they would do and you're not really having them develop it's it's almost like you're having them pay their respects to the business first for years before they're allowed to do something and you are correct that that's not always i've always kind of felt that way anyways i mean as much as i like marvelous i know what marvelous is but i look at I look at Maria, for instance. Mm -hmm. She shouldn't still be doing fucking drop kicks almost three or four years in. She right. should be doing more offensive moves. What is she paying her dues for? She's kind of been here enough already. It's so, just to cut the you mindset, off. 
just to cut you off here, what I'm going at is I look at this Arisa Hoshiki and Mayu Yutani match in a semi-main event of a show. Now, yes, the roster is small, but they're not sticking them in the the opener to throw nothing but drop kicks for the first, you know, three years. They're immediately going out, out there and establishing them as at least in this case, Arisa Hoshiki as a player of some sort. And she may not be main event worthy, but they definitely have her tracked to be there early on because they want to Rossi's idea. And that's so clear. Just watching the first show is to establish people. You can't just not, you can't just be stagnant out of the gate and you can't be, you can't just do this for years. If you're going to make money and stay in business and considering that, this promotion starting without any big stars and draws, they have to do these things. So this is there's a lot of respect here in this first show. And the 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 main event is Yoko Bito versus Yoshiko, and Bito defeats her in 10 minutes in a, you know, for for their skill level, a very respectable match. And that establishes essentially your top face rookie against your top heel rookie. Immediately. You have the you have Fuka's you have Fuka's top student and Nanai's top student, and Rossi gets his big his big push in the main event with the veterans. This this yeah, this I is what you're talking about. this is booking. This isn't just card making. So I will add a little bit about the Rossi booking. Something I've noticed over the years: he doesn't have the pay your dues thing. He has when you get better, you get up the card. Right. <laughs> so for example. Uh, when Momo debuted, she was a decent wrestler. So she was still in the openers until she could improve. Also, she was a child, right? So it, you're a child and you need to improve. You stay in the undercard. However, how he singled her out was he gave her a fucking nickname. True Heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, it's a legacy name. Uh, I forget who has it from way back in the 90s, but it's a, it's a legacy name, right? You're the true heart of, the, of Sardom. You're the, the promotion's beating heart. You're the, the center focus, right? He did that fairly early on in her career, right? So that's how he established her. While she was still a child, and still getting better. Azumi, he made sure she he put her front and center all the time, uh, even kind of give her fun little things with other people in order to keep her standing out. The only times I think he's ever held people down low on the card are when people were children or are not good. Right? Like, you can say, well, Lady C is decent, but Lady C needs a lot of work, especially on the modern roster, to even go up past the opener. So right. she's where she needs to be. Utami's a perfect example of this. Utami debuted, and immediately she did a goddamn five-star in her second match. Her second match ever in the company is in the fucking five-star. Yeah, and They're you could... And, yeah, and that's a good example of, the like, breaking that mindset where she, you know, just because she's a rookie, that she doesn't need... Like, he didn't sticker in the in the openers for years he may he he wanted he's like i see a star in this one and i'm gonna make her one and we're gonna begin this journey immediately and that's what he did and that's what we're seeing Super here also does from it. day I one also does that too i assume does that as well uh, uh i think it's, it's yeah yeah i mean we saw it with suzu basically yeah we saw yuki masha is not in openers all the time she's always up and down the card and in, in programs with main event people comedy programs and programs unless they're, they're always sort of highlighting certain people right yeah, it's a difference it, in mentality. You could tell which companies do that, and which companies, like you said, are there to make you pay respect. And that's so definitely that's definitely a modern that's definitely a concept that needs to be broken in the modern times, unless you're fine with being an indie promotion. And 
I mean, New Japan, New Japan does it all the time, though. They're the <laughs> biggest Japanese pro promotion, and they got the Young Lion system. You're a Young Lion for however many years, and you don't do nothing. You can't be individual. You got to wear black trunks. Yeah, that's uh. Yeah, they still have that mindset, and the only reason why they've been able to get away with it uh, for this generation is because their their company was in so dire straits that they basically started from scratch and had to do that. They were, their hand was forced. They weren't chosen, and now we're now we're kind of seeing uh, the. I mean, luckily they know how to make stars. <laughs> That's been proven time and time again. So they do have the benefit of the doubt there. However, we're, we're kind of getting off track, but you get the idea. Right, right. I was just pointing out that the, the biggest company in, in all of Japan does that, so other companies probably still feel like it's a worthy system. Yeah, uh, lo- luckily, well, they do it. Yeah, luckily, so. New Japan has a good habit of, of cycling in and around the card, so it's not detrimental to them by any means, but it's still a criticism nonetheless. And uh, something Joshi companies just don't have the luxury uh, with being able to be as profitable and have a pipeline for so many wrestlers, uh, they don't, they don't have that luxury to, to dick around like that, to say that, to, to say the least. So no. again, I'm really, really happy with, uh, with the, how this main event went. Uh, you know, it's, I'm not praising, you know, high work rate or here or anything, but you know, you go in with a couple rookies and Yoko Bito and Yoshiko going at it the way they did. I was impressed. Gotta say. Right, right. And uh, when we get to the, the next Yoko Bito match, I got a very interesting thing to point out that I caught on the, 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 the mic when she was being introduced. Okay, so the next show was the debut series day one, February 12th, 2011. Natsuki Tayo and Yoshiko defeat Iris and Yoko Bito in a tag match that went 14 minutes. Uh, match focus here was uh, Bito versus Yoshiko yet again, focusing on the fire of Bito. Yoshiko pins Bito via the mid-rope, stiff as fuck senton. Bro. <laughs> this thing is brutal looking. Oh, yeah. The fucking Yo- early Yoshiko was very stiff. I mean, she's still stiff when she does wrestle. It's kind of just the style that she has. Yeah, but she you can definitely tell she's a much better worker in the modern era. Oh, yeah. Because uh, oh, yeah, th- this senton is just straight full weight on the poor girl. <laughs> yeah, poor Yoko Bito, but... This is where I noticed, uh, and it happens after this show, too, and other announcements of her. She's being introduced as Super Aceu. Yes. She's being introduced as Super Ace. This is obviously before Io Shirai showed up and became the actual ace of the company. Uh, But early on, you could tell uh, both uh, Rossi and Fuka wanted this, wanted Yoko Bito to be the ace. They saw the world of potential in her, and I mean, you could just see just watching her. She has, she has a certain level of charisma to her that people that draws people in, but she also has that same amount of baby face that you could do because she's not so charismatic that she loses that you know ability to believe in her. She does. She's not. She's got like that good in between is what I'm trying to get at, right? She has that good face of pain when she's getting her ass kicked by like Yoshiko here. Yeah. That makes you want to root for her. And she's but got she's, just, she's got some size to her too compared to everybody else. She's tall, yeah, yeah, very tall. She's thicker tall. limbs she, too. Her she, legs, her legs are thicker. Yeah, she's got some meat on them bones. <laughs> uh, so fun <laughs> fact about Mike. Maybe you, maybe you <laughs> forgot. Maybe you, maybe I never told you this. But when I was going on uh, uh, big, you know, just trying out all these promotions binge uh, that I was, uh, when I came across Stardom, it actually wasn't through like Io Shirai or anybody. It was just I found Stardom. I 
forget exactly how, but I think it was just sort of random daily motion YouTubes, and I was just looking up promotions that seemed to be interesting, and uh, Yoko Bito was the first Joshi wrestler that caught my eye and uh, got me into uh, stardom as a whole, and I was kind of just stuck on stardom because a lot, you know, of the of the era, uh, whether it was torrent sites or whatnot, other Joshi promotions were not getting put up on these things. So Yoko Bito was my first kind of uh, wrestler I became a fan of in the Joshi universe. Ah, so it's funny that you say that. Obviously, Momo, I've said before, it was mine, uh, but Bito was number two. Hey, so all right. when I when I got in to stardom she had just retired like her merch was still up on stardom's english shop fresh retired i didn't know this obviously i'm still very very brand new and all the information i was going through like the podcast the few of them that exist at the time and recently i was going to still talked about yoko bito as if she were a current wrestler obviously because they were for a few months behind whatever right always are so when i (laughs) Yeah, so so when I went my did my my big catalog watch back through, uh, after I did Momo right the Momo watch through Momo Queen's Quest stuff, I did Yoko Bito, and I was captivated by her. I was like, oh my god, this is like she's gonna be right up there with Momo as like my two favorite wrestlers. This is awesome. And then I got to a retirement show, <laughs> and I was heartbroken. I was like, oh no, retirement. No, but her merch is still on the store. I could buy her shirt. And it was it was just almost like perfect timing. I go to the store to go buy the shirts gone. Yep. So the Fuck. next Yeah. So the next show was uh debut series day two as February twenty-seventh, two thousand eleven. Uh the main event was Tayo and Yoshiko, so Passion Red, uh defeat the team of Arisa Hoshiki and Yuzapon, 17 minutes 45 seconds, a longer match, and this is where it really became clear that Rossi has tasked Natsuki Tayo with gluing these tag these main event tags together. The, the idea is to focus on tag wrestling, so single wrestling uh, doesn't expose your green wrestlers. And since Tayo is such a good worker that she can just call these things on a dime and pick thing pick things up. Uh, as she so pleases, as we see time and time again throughout many of these events, of what she's capable of and and how she's able to really put something together to highlight wrestlers at the right time. Uh, Yoshiko is always highlighted to be the bruiser and to be a heel, uh, namely when they get Yuzapon up on the ropes and they start stomping her boobs and and trying to get a reaction out of the crowd. Really funny stuff. Uh Natsuki Tayo gets in there with Arisa, which is the weakest one in the match, and uh, she sells a lot for her. It's it's a lot of good stuff. So heel Tayo and Yoshiko versus Yuzuki was great. There's a long heat segment on Yuzuki Aikawa to build a Hoshiki hot tag, of all things. And Hoshiki is really goofy and awkward in the ring at this point. It's almost on brand with what <laughs> we know her as. And Tayo wins. Uh, yeah, Tayo wins via pinning Hoshiki with a moonsault, of all things. Uh, yeah, uh, I like this match. This was good. This is a good example. And uh, I just want to say one more thing: that uh, frequent in the semi mains of these shows is Nanai Takahashi, and she's beaten up rookies. That is her job. She is the singles match wrestler that's helping training these guys while Tayo's the tag wrestler helping them 
kind of in main events and getting pushes. I found that booking strategy very interesting. There is a absolute purpose of that, and it's keeping kind of the older star out of the main event, out of the spotlight to highlight others. Absolutely on purpose, and I have to agree with it. And I kind of wish some of these people would uh, take lessons from this. So I'm going to put have a I'm gonna have a I'm gonna make a take. I think uh, one JBQ will probably like. I think Natsuki Tayo is a great, and always has been, a very great bit player. Okay. You put her into any role, and she could do it. Would you I, say she's, she's a Yumi Ogura type person? I'd say she's a Saki Kashima. Oh, come on. She's way better in the <laughs> ring than Saki Kashima. I, sure. She's Who's also going to debut Saki. this year. She's in that second class, too, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, she sure is. Um, So, Saki Kashima, much like Tayo, is always the glue that holds whatever tag batch he's in. And you can tell just the subtle things she's able to do to continue to keep the match together, even against fucking children, in Saki's case sometimes. I think Tayo, although a, a slightly better wrestler, because I'm not going to dismiss Saki Kashima's ability in the ring. Singles wrestler, sure, but Tayo's also not a very good singles wrestler either. She's very okay at singles. It's kind of one, one limit, one speed, and that's all she's got. Really. I can agree with that, yep. So, but if you put them in tag matches where they're meant to sort of do things to help elevate their opponent as well as their partner, excel at it. It's like they're bit players. And so, uh, Saki Kashima is the modern day. Or, uh, oh, God, Natsuki Tayo. You almost have me call it say Nonoro Tateno. Ugh. Bitch. <laughs> you said t- you're talking about Tateno so goddamn much. I almost said Tateno. CK, you just gotta you just gotta expand your favorites uh, further than Manami Toyota. You just got you, you have to you have to appreciate all the other players that are on the field. You can't just get the you can't get you can't just go to the the starting power forward or the number four power hitter on the baseball team. You gotta gotta appreciate the guy that always gets on base. <laughs> so were you a Scotty Pippen fan? I hated the Chicago Bulls. Get that shit out of my... Get that shit off my podcast. Fuck you. Said that on purpose. I meant you, the fact that he's a, he's a mid-carter. God a damn mid-carter. it. You said that on purpose. I know you... Because I, I like the Utah Jazz. You're just like, I know a name that'll piss him off. Well, I know because I'm a Knicks fan and I felt the same pain. Ugh. All right. Debut series day three. I'm going to get away from that topic. March 27th, a month later. Uh, 2011. So that's that's another thing. We 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 kind of see them run. I don't want to say often, but it's definitely kind of once a month, maybe a couple times. Uh, uh, that's what's in the archive. That's what's in the archive. They actually ran twice a month, tw- two to three times. Yeah, a month, depending yeah. I, on I month. see. I see. Well, yeah. I, I I'm I'm paying attention to kind of what Cage Match is telling me, and uh, right. I think it's I think it's okay just to kind of go off that. It's not really a big deal. Uh, in the long reigns, but um, yeah, on their on their archive, some things are there, some things are not. We do have another source where we could fill in gaps, which is lucky. So day three, uh, this was interesting. Yoshiko defeats Arisa Hoshiki in a singles match in the semi-main. Not Nanai, she was not there. She was uh, she had other duties on the show. Uh, chokes her out. TKO eight minutes. Hoshiki clearly has all these wacky ideas in the ring. Most look terrible. <laughs> however, oh, those are very bad. Actually. However, she does have a couple good moves, like her Brazilian kick and the top rope roundhouse kick. So one of these is a good move, and one of them is a move that I've never liked, and that's the Brazilian kick. 
It you just ne- looks phony. You don't like the Brazilian kick? I think it looks sick. It looks phony. It looks phony. I, I, it depends. Sometimes she pulls it off well enough, but when she stands there and does it, just a standing one, it looks phony. Mm. All right. Well, it was like, I was like, when she puts momentum behind it, when she's like moving while doing it, when the, the opponent's running into it, it looks better. Uh, but uh, I think she you play too many fighting it, it games. You expect like a big thing to come across the screen. <laughs> I, my brain can't disassociate the fact that she pulls her leg back, faints it, and then does for the kick, which lessens the power of said kick. Unless you have the giant, massive snap of one Arisa Hoshiki. Uh, it's mostly a weird match, especially the ending, because Yoshiko just forearms Hoshiki down, and then Ruchika nokes her out. Uh, yeah, keeps the hold on. Ends. Now, this was like the the heel defining performance because she keeps the hold on even after the bell, and she's screaming, clearly establishing her as brute force killer in the ring, and absolutely succeeded because you heard some boos, you got some reaction, good stuff. And then in the main event, Natsuki Tayo and Yuzuki Aikawa, so we're kind of changing the teams up here, takes on main event, defeats them. Yoko Bito and Mayu Iwatani in her very first main event for stardom with a decade more to come. 18 minutes, 17 seconds. We got the start of a rivalry here with Yuzuki and Bito. Uh, Yuzuki wanted her. Sure did. She fucking smiled for it. Ended with a lot of kicks. Uh, super set spin kick by Yuzuki on Mayu. Okay. Uh, Yuzuki Aikawa, she's real damn stiff with them kicks. <laughs> Yuzukawa is really good, you, you know. So, so was your answer me this? Was your only experience of Yuzukawa prior to this the her showing up in the Stardom Rumble at the Big Budokan show? Let's basically go with yes on that one. Okay, uh, I've watched everything that was in the archives back in the day, uh, and Yuzukawa is very, very good. She's incredibly underrated for just how fucking good she got in the ring. Dude, I agree. Like, this is just phenomenal to watch that she is being put as high as she is, and she absolutely earns every bit of it, and the crowd is super behind her. Every time she gets these kicks, she's got presence, she's got the look, and people don't want to admit this, at least with some sort of, you know, a lot of wrestling fandoms out there. Look, looks are important. (laughs) It is a business based on looks. And Aikawa has the looks, she has the presence, she has the charisma, and she has the in, a good enough in-ring at this point in time to warrant this just massive immediate push. And that's okay. Right. And, and another thing to go along with the looks thing, if you don't have the looks, you damn sure better have some transcendent skill. Right. Exactly. Those are the only two things. If you're going to be a star, those are the things you need. It's good to have both, but if you can't have one, you damn sure better have the other. Yeah, uh, very messy match all around though, and uh, but it sets That's up the rivalry well. <laughs> I am all in on this Yuzuki Aikawa versus uh, Bito to start off the promotion, uh, and I'm very happy with Nanai kind of out of it as the as we're seeing just what this promotion is going to be built off of. That's more important than Nanai getting spotlight right now. And I'll put your seatbelt on because that's not going to last for much longer. Uh huh. So. Osaka first ring, April 3rd, 2011. A week later, Natsuki Tayo and Yoshiko defeat Yuzuki Aikawa teaming with Nanai Takahashi. 19 minutes, 36 seconds. So now we have 
a more the probably the most veteran <laughs> quote unquote matchup you can get in a stardom ring. Uh, so going back to that very first opener, it was Iris and Nanai versus Tayo and Aikawa. Now replace Iris with Yoshiko and kind of switch the teams up. Teams up. This is kind of your building main event here. Okay, it's heel Yoshiko versus face Yuzuki all the way, and there is a very clear structure to this match where Tayo and Nanai are to just back away for most of the match. And they, you know, they get their chances to shine. Don't get me wrong. But again, this is put together for not just Yuzupon to shine, but also Yoshiko. These two are the main players on this day. And it's put together to exactly accomplish that. I think it does a very good job. And uh, after Yoshiko uh, stiff sentons the fuck out of Yuzuki, she, she gets pinned. Or uh, Yoshiko pins Yuzuki is what I meant. Uh, I'm like you could tell in a couple instances that Nanai was trying to run things, which I think she played her role well in that aspect, and she didn't hog spotlight. There, there was a, a very precedent. There was a precedent out there for that. So in that aspect, for almost a twenty minute match, uh, this was also a home run. So all of these main events, I have enjoyed. I have gotten the purpose to them all. I see stars being made. I, you know, the work rate's not high by any means, but I respect it and I appreciate it for their skill level. This is a good four month start to stardom. I've really, I've really enjoyed this. You say that only because we've watched the main events. If you go lower down the card, as much as the top, it's so startup early on was the rep, gave the reputation of good main event or good for the time main event. Uh, skip the rest of the show. I think that's okay. You're not watching Arya Souza and and uh, a child, an actual child, wrestle. Right, but I think I think that's totally fine because that's what they're capable of, and they're not they're not presenting themselves as more than that. They're doing what they can, and they're trying to build off of this just ground floor. And this is about the most you can do off it. And I I can't really criticize anything they're really doing wrong at this point. No, because we're, we're at the point now where the divide between, you know, what, what Denai wants and what everyone else in there with a brain wants uh, hasn't started yet. So Denai's, like you said, Denai's playing her role well. You'll find out eventually that this would stay the case because she wants the spotlight. She wants what her friends to have the spotlight all about Denai, and that's kind of what kids killing everything with her. Right. So this is the promotion. I'm glad you brought that up because this is something we're going to see with a lot of promotions. Okay. Is event. And I'm seeing this with LLPW. Okay. When you have a small, small roster, there does come a time where you don't want your roster to get stale. They can only face each other so many times. So the need for Gaijin's uh, freelancers and the like are very necessary when when you're when you're limited the way you are. Stardom right now is limited. Let's be honest here. It's a it's a promotion starting from the ground floor. I must reiterate this until it's beaten into our heads that we have to temper expectations and we have to criticize something with an open mind with what they're capable of. And when egos aren't in play yet, it's it's definitely good right now now 
when in the future, when we start seeing things unfold the way it is, because eventually they are going to have to go outside the promotion to, you know, keep the card fresh, fresh, keep it from getting stale. Because you don't want your audience to just get that mindset where it's like, uh, and this is what indie promotions in America can't let happen is you have your fans go, I can miss a show and that's okay. You don't want that. As soon as you start getting that, then they they trickle away and you have a depleting audience over time. Sure, some new ones may come in and out, but eventually they trickle away. You can't have that. And the, re, and, and the key factor to keeping them in the seats and getting even the slightest bit more over time is to keep it as fresh as possible with highlighting your homegrown players. That is when right. that is when it gets dangerous on who these homegrown players. You know, Rossi does, may not have his, you know, he has his connections. Nanai has hers. Fuka has more of the, I guess, the recruiting side of it all. The, the, this trickle effect is going to be super interesting to follow stardom uh, for the next four years. It's very, it's super interesting. And uh, one of the big players in 2011 is one Io Shirai. Super interesting. Yeah, so we haven't gotten to her yet. When she comes in, that's the game changer, I think, right there. Uh, when they get her to come in, because at the time, uh, Triple Tales, uh, which we'll probably end up watching their last ever Triple Tales show as a trio, uh, was a pretty big deal within the scene because for the short period of time that they existed, they sold a lot of merch. They were a draw at the time. Now, I mean, a lot of merch by 2010, 2011 standards, obviously. By modern standards, they sold a paltry amount. Um, but those Grab Your DVDs and, and books and pictures and all that other stuff with them uh, was very, very much sought after by people. As a result, they became very popular. We got booked more, and then EO dipped. And when we see her show up, it's a big deal. And I think, I believe, if America, they treat it like a big deal, too. It's not just treated as some Joe Schmo that walked in. Good. Uh, that's also important. Looking forward uh, to no, it. No, I, I, I could be off on that, but I feel like I remember them making a big deal about it. Well, that's why watching a lot of these things in context is important. Uh, learning about kind of the the history of the key players, uh, getting you know getting your blueprint together uh, for context, and then developing uh, your your interpretation and opinion about it all. Is it's critical thinking, and that's what we're doing with Stardom. That's what we're about to do with uh, a lot more promotions heading forward into 2011. Now that we have a full year's worth of complete context for a lot of these promotions, uh, this is super fun. I'm having a good time uh, going over this with you, Kay, and I'm looking forward to more. I just want to point out one more thing before we uh, start wrapping things up a bit. Uh, you mentioned the, the connections thing, right? Now he has connections. Mm -hmm. Rossi has his connections. Rossi had almost zero wrestling connections at this point. Those bridges are burned. Right. Uh, with Aja. So, right? With Aja and Arcee, and they were burned. So, so where, is, where does that leave him? Away, but he had a lot of business connection at the mm -hmm. time. Because, like I had said, he was a consultant for Joshi promotions, which meant he rubbed shoulders with some business people at the same time, people that were funding the promotions or helping run the promotions. So he knew people, and so he knew how to uh, kind of get things smoothened out in terms of booking a venue, things like that. So that was kind of the expertise that they wanted when they brought him, when they asked for him, was they wanted a booker man, right? Because then they were, <laughs> I don't think the Nye, they weren't, no one was going to agree to it if the Nye had the book. I think that was sort of the general consensus. Now, I don't know. Obviously, I wasn't there for the discussion. But given the fact that they brought Rossi in when he wasn't kind of part of the original discussion, 
right off the bat. It was kind of Fuka and Nanai. Uh, I think that says a lot to the fact that I think <laughs> think it was like Fuka's like, yeah, hey, you're not booking this though. I saw what you did with Sun, and that promotion didn't last for three years. That's a short period of time for a promotion to live. So uh, I think that was also part of it. All right. Uh, our next episode, uh, I don't have it in front of me. I think it's another Ice Ribbon show. Hey, be happy pro wrestling. Be happy pro wrestling. See you next time. See ya.